Some of you are probably content on the couch, but me, I'm one of those weirdos that likes to go in the dark room with strangers and watch a film for the first time opening weekend. Um, I know our lead pastor here, Lonnie Atwood, has mentioned his love of movies in the past. Um, I'm a big movie fan. And so when we think about fictional characters in film, could be in books, comic books, um, television shows that are streaming a lot now, um, there's often these fictional characters that go by different names. Some of us probably have nicknames this morning. Um, I've been called Crazy Joe for three years in high school when I played lacrosse. The kid's leg got broken when he tried to cross-check me. Um, I've been called Joe Provolone for my first job. Some of the youth kids know that story. Uh, my boss thought it'd be hilarious if he told all the, the workers and students that my last name was spelled Provolone and not Tronalone. And so the whole club thought that was my name for like a year. Um, but of course, my name is Joseph. I say all the students call me Joe. Joseph's my in trouble name. If I hear Joseph, it's usually my mom yelling it at me and I'm running the opposite direction. Um, but some of us have nicknames this morning and there's some famous fictional characters that do too. If I try to make a giant list, we'd be here all morning. But I just want to give you a couple that stick out to me. Um, I apologize if your favorite hero or villain doesn't make my short list, but um, if you know me well, you will know I have to start with this character. Um, this is, of course, Darth Vader, one of the, if not the most iconic villains in cinema history. When you hear his breathing, when you see his mask, you know who it is. That name tells us something about him. He's intimidating. Darth Vader. This is, of course, from my favorite film. I wasn't even a thought yet, 1980, The Empire Strikes Back. Um, I shouldn't have to say a spoiler warning. These movies have been out for a long time, but in case you have never seen these, this character does have another name. Um, we learned about that name towards the end of this trilogy and into the prequel movies. Of course, Darth Vader was once upon a time Anakin Skywalker, Jedi Knight. And we learn about how he became this throughout those movies. I had to mention Darth Vader first. Another character you'll recognize instantly, probably. This is Smeagol a.k.a. Gollum from The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien. He's in the Hobbit films. He's played very well by Andy Serkis um, here in Motion Capture. This is one of the original Lord of the Rings films. There's a new show streaming this just in a couple weeks set in this same world, so I thought I'd bring Gollum up. He won't be there yet, but um, he was, of course, called Smeagol. Once upon a time, he was a hobbit, but then he finds what? He finds the One Ring, and he becomes corrupted by it. It morphs him into this. Kind of like Anakin, you can barely recognize Smeagol anymore. And Tolkien gives him this name, which tells us something about him, Gollum. He says it a lot out loud for us, but he has this guttural throat sound that he makes, and that's why Tolkien calls him the Gollum. Other character, one of my favorite villains in fiction. This is Jadis. You might know her better as the White Witch from C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. I loved those books as a kid. I've read them several times. Um, this is a screenshot from the film in which she is the main antagonist. This is the Flying the Witch in the Wardrobe, of course. Um, she also plays a role in The Silver Chair, if you read that book. And she tries to get back into the story in Prince Caspian, the sequel film and book to this. Um, she gives our main characters a lot of grief. And of course, she's pictured here with Snow. The White Witch tells us something about her name, too. More modern character. She was on the big screen this summer. This is Wanda Maximoff for those MCU fans in the house, Marvel fans. These make a lot of money, these movies. Um, Wanda Maximoff has another name, though, and she's just earned it this summer in this film. She's in Doctor Strange's sequel, The Multiverse of Madness, and she's also known as the Scarlet Witch. And if you've watched this film, you know she earns that title quite well. And thanks to WandaVision on Disney+, Plus, I think she's earned that title, too. That's the Scarlet Witch. This next one... 
Some of you grew up with him. I found him later in life because I wasn't a thought yet. Um, and he's back on the big screen this year. Um, I saw this film four times. I don't know if that's healthy or not, but I really enjoyed this film. Um, you know him possibly as Pete Mitchell, but we all know him best by his call sign, Maverick. Um, I saw this film a lot. It's a really fun film. And Maverick, that name, tells us something about him, everything we need to know about him. He breaks the rules. He charts his own course. He flies like a maverick. He lives his life like a maverick. That word got added into our lexicon after this original film, Top Gun, came out. If someone calls you a maverick, you know what they mean. So I had to mention him, but I'll mention two more. These characters have at least three names. This one's a big character. Some of you are probably wondering why I haven't mentioned him yet. So I'll put him on the screen for you. This is he who must not be named. That name tells us everything we need to know about him. How terrified people are to even speak his other name, which is Lord Voldemort. Uh, but of course, if you've watched The Chamber of Secrets, as I have many times, if you've read the book, you can probably picture with me the scene in which the young man spells his name for us. And he moves the letters all around. Um, his name was once upon a time Tom Riddle. Tom Morvola Riddle, before he becomes this. He didn't always look like that. Okay? That name tells us something about him. He who must not be named. Harry gets scolded when he says his name, Lord Voldemort, out loud. And this last character is just a personal favorite of mine. One of my favorite superheroes. Hasn't been on the big screen in a while. He's due for a resurgence. I don't know who's going to fill this character's shoes, but hopefully we'll see him again on the big screen. Um, if you're like me and you haven't read comic books, I have not read comic books. Um, you might know him as James Howlett. If you have not read comic books, you might know him better as Logan, a.k.a. The Wolverine, played very memorably by Hugh Jackman. This is a screenshot from the film called The Wolverine. Um, fun fact, before we move forward, James Mangold directed this film. He's directing Indiana Jones 5 next summer. My, one of my favorite characters of all time, right below Star Wars. So Indy's in good shape next summer with this director. Um, now, I mention all these characters, why? And, and the nicknames that we have, why? Because the person I'm going to introduce us to this morning, she has different names, too. At least three of them, and perhaps a fourth that we'll look at together. Um, in full disclosure, I shared this individual with our young people, I think in April or May of last year. Um, it was the one message that I probably gave of, I don't know, 40-something, um, that stuck with me and captured me, and I hope that this woman will capture you this morning. We're going to talk about names, we're going to talk about hopefully something or someone bigger than this person, um, but I want to introduce you to a name, a woman named Tabitha. Tabitha. Um, but let's pray before we read Acts 9 together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning, for its truth, for its timeliness, that it is always true and it's always relevant, Father. We thank you for this story in front of us this morning here. Speak to us through it, call to us through it. Draw us near to you. Eliminate distractions, Father. Give me the words to speak and speak through me so that we might see this woman. We might see someone greater through her. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. I tried to make the text as big as I could for you all. But we're going to read Acts 9, 36 to 43. And this is Tabitha's story. Let me read this to you. It says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, 
the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and he went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he, Peter, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Some translations say a tanner of hides. In this passage, we're introduced to a really ordinary person. In many ways, she's like you and me. She's a nobody. She's never again in Scripture. This is all we get of her. Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas, a.k.a. Gazelle. She's got a couple different names this morning, like our fictional characters. But this one was real. Tabitha was her Aramaic name in Greek. Some of your Bibles will tell you it's Greek. That's her name in Greek, Dorcas. And her name, both names, because they translate to gazelle. Some of you maybe aren't picturing what a gazelle is this morning. It looks a lot different than the deer we have here in New York State. This looks antelope family, okay? That's a gazelle. And her name in Greek or Aramaic, translates to that animal. Um, believe it or not, almost 2,000 years ago, it would have been commonplace to use animal nicknames for people. Um, some of them we still use today, not some very good ones, but um, back then, this would have been commonplace to call a beautiful woman a gazelle. The, the gazelle was seen as an image of beauty. It was seen as something with stunning eyes and swift feet. It was intelligent. It was graceful. Um, for all the men in this room this morning, I don't know if you ever called an attractive lady a gazelle. I've never tried it myself. Um, I don't know if I call an attractive woman a gazelle, what will happen. Um, but if any of the men in this room, if you're single like myself or you're married, challenge this week. If you want to add that compliment to your list, if it works for you, you let me know. Um, it sounds wild to us today, but almost 2,000 years ago, um, we're told something about this woman from the very beginning. She was an attractive woman, Miss Tabitha. We also know about where she lived, right in the beginning here. We're told that there's someone in Joppa. Joppa today is considered Jaffa in Israel. You can see it up on a map today. It was a major port city back then. It still is today. The big body of water you see to your left there is the Mediterranean Sea. Jaffa, or Joppa, is about 35 miles northwest of Jerusalem. You can see its relationship to Bethlehem, too. Not too far. Interesting stuff about Joppa. God has used this place before. Joppa is the place where King Solomon would have received his timber when he built the temple. Joppa is also the place where our friend Jonah runs to catch a boat. Joppa has been used by God before, and it's used again here in a pretty marvelous way. What's interesting here, you know, you noticed this as you read this with me, we don't have any of Tabitha's words recorded for us, but we do know about her works. We don't know anything that she says. She doesn't speak once in this passage about her. Luke doesn't give us any of that. But we know about what she did. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, and hopefully more. Also, it's interesting, most theologians, most commentaries, 
that you'll read, most pastors will probably agree that most likely Tabitha was single like myself or she was widowed. Um, that's significant. We don't hear about a man in her life in this passage. There's no historical evidence that she would have had a family at this point. We don't hear about kids. So often we hear about that when women are mentioned in Scripture. A lot of times they're not even named for us. But already we know her name, where she lives, and most likely she's single or widowed. Um, but besides that, I want to look at three key facts with you about Tabitha. Um, got a bulletin this morning. Hopefully there's a insert of notes in there. I tried to make them fill in the blanks so you can follow along with me. The words are underlined on the screen as we go. I want you to see with me these three key details that we get about Tabitha, besides her name and where she's from. Okay? Um, and the first fact about Tabitha is this. She was a devoted disciple. She was a devoted disciple. Really want to pause at this first one. This one's key. Without this one, we can't go forward. She's given a title that no other woman, pretty much no other woman in the New Testament is given. She's called a disciple. And that gives reason for me to pause. Mary Magdalene's not called a disciple in Scripture. Does she share qualities? Maybe. Might we refer to her as one? Possibly. She's not called a disciple. Martha's not given that title. Priscilla's not given that title. Salome, lots of women are not called disciples. But Tabitha here, we're told in the very beginning, there was a disciple in Joppa named Tabitha. It's really important that we look at that together. It's pretty amazing, actually that she's given this title. We're fascinated with titles today. So often, when, what's the first thing we ask someone when we meet them? What do you do? What's your job? I have a sister right now. She's been dating a guy for about almost two years. Everyone in the family asks us, what does he do? What's his work? We're always fascinated with those titles. Maybe we're fascinated with the wrong titles. We're not told her job yet. We haven't got there. Disciple comes out first. This is the type of, I think, the author Luke wants us to focus on. And of course, as we talk about Tabitha, this question has to come up. I have two big questions for us this morning. We could probably spend all day on this first one, but we'll keep it brief. Um, the big question that comes from this is, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? If Tabitha's called one, we should probably know what it is. Some of you I know know the definition of this word. Maybe others are less certain. Um, this is a big word. So often we see this word, we might think student off the bat. That wouldn't be wrong. Uh, in just a few couple weeks, uh, youth ministry will pick off again. I'm so excited. I know parents and students are probably dreading the school year. I'm excited because I work from home permanently now thanks to COVID. I can't wait to get out of the house on Wednesday nights and hang out with young people and teach them and have some fun with them. Um, they're probably not looking forward to it as much as me, but um, I wonder what my students might say if I ask them, what is a disciple? How they would define that for me. Maybe we'll ask that question this year. I don't know. Some of you, if you turn to your neighbor this morning, I wonder what definition they'd give you of a disciple. You know, we look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And our Lord and Savior, he tells the apostles, he tells us to go out and what? Make disciples in all the nations, baptizing them in the faith. We probably should know what this term means. And I think so often this word has been chiseled away at by life. I think words like love and freedom, words like disciple here, have been stripped away of some of their power, I think, by sin in our world. And we forget what these words really mean. 
I want to try to bring back some gravitas to this word this morning that we hear here about Tabitha. So the biblically, specifically, what is a disciple? Luke, the author of Acts here, gives us a better direction here in his gospel. Luke 6.40, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. The disciple is not above his teacher, but he will be trained, he'll be like his teacher. And of course, who is the teacher that he's referring to? Jesus. Tabitha's teacher was Jesus in many ways. I know John Piper, he, he defines discipleship like this. He says the disciple is a quote-unquote little Christ. I wanted to define it for you this morning. Through the context of Tabitha, I might say this. A disciple of Jesus, not anybody, a disciple of Jesus is a worshiper, servant, and witness of God. A disciple of Jesus is a worshiper, servant, and witness of God. Tabitha worshiped the Lord, and she served him. We'll talk about that service in just a minute. And she was a witness to a lot of what God was doing in her city and through her. One of the highest compliments we could probably get today would be to say, you remind me of Jesus. But those aren't the compliments we're interested in. <laughs> you want to be called other things. And we're concerned with the name badges that we wear. But here, disciple is a big word that's thrown around here with Tabitha. She stood out as a faithful follower of Jesus, and she pointed people to him. And so I think that was the first point we have to see together. She's a devoted disciple. Second fact about Tabitha, we can read here that she was a doer of good deeds. She was a doer of good deeds. The needs of people moved her, and not only did they move her, but she went to meet those needs. She was a woman of action. We'll read about that in just a minute. So often we see needs in our community, in our schools, in our homes. But how often do we meet those needs? Do we act on those I know this morning you started one of my favorite books, the book of James, this morning. James is a lot about action. He's about walking the talk as a Christian, not just talking it. A lot of us can do that. He's, he's concerned with works as well. I know James is famous for saying that uh, good faith without good works is what? Dead, he says. So often we see that expression, we think that's contradicting Paul, but actually it's not. They both believe the same gospel. As a young person, I did not like math. Are any of you in here with me? I thought most of this is never going to get used. Algebra, I have to admit, sorry young people, I'm not using it today. I'm not using it. I'm using some math in my job. I didn't like math. I remember my first job in the Boys and Girls Club of Eden. I'm from Eden, New York. Um, these kids would ask me, Mr. Provolone. I'd be like, who? Oh yeah, right. Sorry. And they'd be like, Mr. Provolone. Can you help us with this math homework? And I would look at I used to be one of the tutors at the club. And they'd show me this lattice work. And I'm like, what is this? I'm like, you don't just take the two numbers and put a line over them? They're like, no. I'm like, I don't know how to help you. I'm so confused. It was so difficult. The formula for the gospel, though, is really easy. We see it in Galatians. There's no other gospel. It's grace plus nothing, right? That's our eternity. That's our everything. Tabitha would have known that. Paul tells us that we're saved by grace through faith in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? James knows this too, but he's also worried about the folks that say, well, 
it's plus nothing, so I don't have to do anything. Great. God's got me. Let go and let God. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to change anything. And James is like, not so fast. Our works still matter. Now I have to pause here. Do our works save us this morning? Do our works grant us entrance into heaven? The answer is no, they don't. And if you've been taught that this morning, I apologize, but that's not quite true. It's not by anything that we've done, by what God has done. Tabitha would have known that as well. But our works still matter, and we see her works here. She doesn't speak for us, and so we can look at those works. Christian hip-hop artist that I listen to. Many of you will not know his name. That's okay. We play him on Wednesday nights sometimes. His name is Kevin Burgess, but he's got another name too. He's known as KB. I've seen him tweet and, and say this before. I think he puts it pretty well. He says, your works in this world do not earn you salvation. However, your works are designed to confirm that you have salvation. I think he puts it well. Our works don't save us this morning, but they should point us to someone who has saved us. It should confirm that we have salvation. And we can see that with Tabitha this morning. When she saw a need, she jumped to meet it. Miss Gazelle was a devoted disciple, and she did good works, good as defined by God. So that's the second fact about her. She did good deeds. Third fact about Tabitha. She helped and loved the hurting. She helped and loved the hurting. She was a disciple who did good, but she also had a heart for people. Widows or even single women back then, I'm sure you all are aware of this, they had very little power. Tabitha would have had very little influence in her day. We've come a long way since then. we still got some work to do, possibly, but there was no social security back then. Women like Tabitha didn't have Roth IRAs or 401ks. There was no pension funds. Women or single women, if that's what she was, um, would have had to rely on a family. And if not them, the church. But somehow it seems that she's able to support herself and others. She does have a house with an upper room. She may have earned that on her own. Maybe she inherited it from her father. We're not told. Luke doesn't give us that detail either. But it seems as if she's able to support her neighbors and herself. Which is pretty remarkable for a woman in those days. The last part of verse 36, look at me, this with me, it says the word charity, verse 36. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In verse 39, we kind of see what that charity was. We finally get to sort of her job description. It's way later than this other title she's been given. She's essentially a seamstress. Can any of you sew this morning? Confession, I couldn't make any of you a single piece of clothing. I remember making a stuffed dog in like 7th or 8th grade home ec class. It went right in the trash when I moved from Eden, New York to Tonawanda. It was gone. It was not my crowning achievement. I couldn't sew for you. Tabitha could. She was a gifted seamstress. She knew her gifts from God. Some of you probably could sew this morning quite well, just like Tabitha. She's doing more than just sewing, though, for herself. Because after all, there's no joint fabrics. In Jopa, there's no old navies to run down to. Back in those days, culturally, mostly it was women that were doing the clothes making. But she's not just clothing her community. She's quite literally doing that, but she's also clothing them in her compassion and her love. And I don't mean that to sound cheesy either, but she is doing that. 
these people would have known that she was serving someone higher than herself, knowing that she helped her community. And then she dies. Very beginning of our passage. She gets ill and she passes away. This is reality for all of us. That's it. It's a wrap for her. Her body's washed. Her dead corpse is laid in the upper room of her house. And as we're told, there are many widows there crying and sobbing. Many people, some saints, so maybe some men and young folks too, crying over this woman's death. Many of us know that situation well. We have lived it. It would have been a very somber scene that Peter walks into. And this woman's death, well, I'm sure sad, also quite literally means the death of many of these people. Who's going to clothe them now? Who's going to care for them? Who's going to be there for them? They don't have much hope after Tabitha's gone. And so they bring Peter. I'm not really sure if they knew what was going to happen. Maybe they're hoping for the best. Maybe they just were looking for comfort as they bring Peter there. And these women, imagine with me, these women putting their clothes on display for Peter as he's going up the stairs. Peter, look at this tunic that Dorcas made for me. Peter, look at this piece of clothing that Tabitha, before she passed, made me. It's clear by the approach of Peter here and, and, and how it's labeled out here for us that Tabitha saw each of these people as individuals. Also, word choice is key when reading God's word. The expression, at least in the ESV version, is tunics and other garments. It's an important phrase. Tunics and other garments means that it's not just the outerwear that some of these people are wearing. It might be down to the underwear, too, or the next layer below the tunic. Some of these people, everything they're literally wearing, Dorcas made for them. They would have nothing. They'd be naked without her. She made everything they were wearing, and it's clear that these people loved her and that she loved them, which is miraculous, then, that God decides... She's not done yet. He's got more work for her to do. Apparently, her love is so important to the people of Joppa, or today Jaffa, that when she dies, God raises her back to life. Which brings me on a small tangent. Sorry, this is going to be small. There are, there they are, at least ten resurrections for us in the Bible. Have more happened? It's very possible. Not everything that God has done has been recorded. There's 10. They're almost in chronological order. I just saved Tabitha's for last. I don't expect you to write all that down. Maybe you want to just note the scripture where it's found. There have been at least 10 resurrections. Tabitha makes that list, that very short list, at least that we have. I'm going to list these off to you really fast. First one, Elijah. He raises the son of a widow in 1 Kings chapter 17. Then Elisha raises the son of a woman, a Shunammite woman, in fact, in 2 Kings chapter 4. Then a man is raised, this one's always peculiar, when his body touches Elisha's bones in 2 Kings chapter 13. You can read about that. Then Jesus is on the scene. Number four, Jesus raises the son of a widow. Read about that in Luke 7. He also raised Jairus' daughter after some delay. That's in Luke 8. We all know this story. Many of us probably do. In chapter 11 of John, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Number seven, Jesus rises from the dead. Read about that in Matthew 28 or any of the Gospels. More on that to come. Jesus rising from the dead. We're also given a kind of creepy, but I find fascinating detail in Matthew 27, 50 to 53. 
you want to note those for yourself. This is where we're told where others begin rising from their graves at the resurrection of Jesus. Other bodies begin to come out and rise up as well. It's an interesting detail we're given there by Matthew. And this is my personal favorite. It's about a man named Eutychus. Eutychus falls into a deep sleep during a sermon. Imagine that. Have any of us fallen asleep during a sermon before? Not here at Cass. Never. I may have seen a couple of you sleep on an angel last week, but I kept it to myself. Um, hopefully no one's pulling a Eutychus this morning. If you are, it's partly my fault. I'm sorry. Um, this is my favorite one. Eutychus falls asleep during Paul's sermon, and he falls out a window and dies. I'm not making this up. It's in Acts chapter 20. We're safe here because the way our windows are constructed, so I have no doubts that we'll all be safe. But this man falls out a window to his death during a sermon. And this is my favorite part. Paul really wants him to hear what he has to say, so he brings him back to life. And this time, hallelujah, the guy stays awake, and he gets to hear the rest of it. It's one of my favorite moments in Acts chapter 20. Read about it. It's hilarious. Um, that guy's a lucky guy. And he gets to hear some good news from, from Paul. And then lastly, really second to last chronologically here, in Acts 9, Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, brings Tabitha back from the dead. It's an incredible list, and this one here is an amazing episode in the life of the early church. Remember, in the book of Acts, Jesus has left earth. We see the early church forming here, and this is an incredible work, is it not? Tabitha, hopefully you have all that scripture down. Tabitha is a model for us this morning. She's a model of a devoted disciple who does good work, and she loves her neighbors. She loved her neighbor. She did good work. She was a disciple. But I have to imagine that when Peter shows up on this scene, and he's going up the stairs to this corpse waiting for him, he probably remembers a similar experience years earlier with his teacher, Jesus. Some of you may have been here at that time. Our pastor, Lonnie Atwood, here led us through the book of Mark. It took him probably two or two and a half years, thanks to the pandemic. We were in Mark for a long time. I don't know if you can remember that far back, but in Mark chapter 5, we see a very similar situation. I don't know if you've noticed this parallel before or not, but it's pretty cool. Peter's a devoted disciple too, and he knows his teacher well. Jesus did something very similar years earlier. This is in Mark 5:41. little girl had died. There's commotion and crying going on. And like Peter, before him, Jesus sends all these people out of the room, tells them all to leave. Peter's there, James and John are there. They're the same ones that are watching the transfiguration happen a while later. Peter was there, but he's called out of the room, and Jesus, I see here it says, taking her by the hand, he, Jesus, said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Talitha kumi are the words of Jesus. And here, in our passage this morning, Peter does something incredible. He changes just one letter of that phrase, just one. He says, Tabitha Kumi. ESV translates it for us a little too quickly for my liking, but he uses the same expression as Jesus. He just changes that B, that L to a B. Tabitha Kumi. And she gets up. Verse 40 says, But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha Arise, Tabitha, Kumi. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. 
want to teach you a new word this morning. It's an Aramaic word spelled C-U-M-I, kumi. Some translations show it kum, K-O-U-M. They mean almost the same thing. They mean to arise, to get up, to rise up. I think back to movies again. I apologize. If you've ever seen the Dark Knight trilogy, one of my favorite stories as well. In the final film, The Dark Knight Rises, this is a really nerdy moment. Only those that really know me well will understand this. I love film scores, not just the movies. I like the music. I'm a cellist. I play a classical instrument. There's something in the score happening in that movie. It's a chant. You hear it throughout the score, normally when the terrorist Bane is on the screen. It's this Mongolian Arabic phrase called Deshe Basara. Deshe, Deshe Basara. You hear it a lot in the movie. It means almost the same thing as this Arabic word, kumi. It means he rises, he rises. Now, if you know that film and how it ends, the last shot, it totally makes sense as to why that music is there. But his whole life, Bruce Wayne is trying to climb out of a pit, and in that film, he literally has to climb out of a pit. I won't tell you what happens, but um, here, Peter uses this word, kumi, very wisely. And it's a call for us this morning. That's what my sermon's titled, Kumi, God's Calling. I don't know about you, but you may have spotted the easy miracle in this text. A woman comes back from the dead. It's amazing. It really is. It is. But there's a deeper miracle here. I don't know if you see it or not. Can you see it? I know there was a time in my life about the age of 15 or 16, about 2008, I would have probably said anything, given anything. I didn't have much to give. I didn't have much money. Teenagers in the room, you know, you don't have much money. I would have done anything to see a resurrection happen in my family. And you know what? Didn't happen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. I know I'm not alone in this room, but reading this story together, there's a deeper miracle here happening. A woman's brought back from the dead. Her dead corpse finds new life. But that's not it. Read with me verse 42. And it became known throughout all Joppa, comma, and many believed in the Lord. Do you see the bigger miracle this morning? Many believed in the Lord, not just Tabitha. Doesn't say a few, doesn't say several. Luke doesn't just throw out the word couple. He says many. Text, word choice is important. He says many believed in the Lord. How many? We don't know. I can't answer that for you this morning. Luke wasn't concerned with telling us the number. We're always about numbers. We want results now because we live in a world like that. Um, he doesn't tell us. Could have been 20, could have been 50, could have been 100, could have been 1,000 people. Maybe it was more than Paul saw get saved. Maybe it was more than 3,000. We don't know. But it was many. And it's clear from Luke's tone here and his word choice that the city of Joppa has been turned upside down and not by Tabitha's resurrection either. I'm always encouraged by the verse, Luke 15, 10. Angels were rejoicing in heaven at the sight of Joppa here. We're told that angels rejoice when what? When one sinner repents. Many sinners had repented here. Many. I don't know if we can fathom the celebration that the angels were having. They were partying like you and I can probably not believe in Joppa. Not because of resurrection, at least not this woman's. They were rejoicing because of a seamstress, a, a do-gooder, a nobody like you and me. But God had worked through her. That's why the angels were rejoicing. What's most fascinating to me about this story 
is that we're not told what happens next. So often the case for us in Scripture. This is it for Tabitha. Chapter 10 moves on. We don't hear about her again. We don't know what she says next, what she does next. You and I can only speculate. But many like to think, and I firmly believe this morning, looking at what we have in front of us here, there's no doubt in my mind that this woman, when she's given a second chance, she comes back from the dead, she's sitting there with Peter, all these people in her room, in her house. You think she made much of herself, this devoted disciple, Tabitha? I don't think so. You think she would have more than likely went back to doing exactly what she had been doing her whole life. She went right back, I, no doubt in my mind, she went right back to doing what she had always done, quietly, humbly serving her God, most likely. She's making much of him, not of herself. There's no evidence here to say otherwise, really. And there's something inspiring and noteworthy about this woman. Women in this room take note of Tabitha. Men, we should definitely take note of Tabitha, too. But there's also something or someone bigger that we can see in this story than Tabitha. And how we serve God can be seen, I hope, in this story. So often I think we struggle to know how we serve God best. How do I serve you in this job that I'm stuck in? How do I serve God in this place that I'm living with this financial situation, with these family problems over here? We've all got those. How do I serve you, God? Tabitha makes, again, the math for me very easy. She makes it simple. She shows us something, and it's about relationships. This is a quote from a pastor much wiser than myself. So, so, so often I've learned the best youth directors borrow, they steal. Um, this is my favorite quote. It informs everything I do here in our ministry. It's in my head all the time. Pastor Mike Taylor, I heard it on a podcast, believe it or not. I listen to a lot of podcasts at home working. And I've read it in books since. He says, the gospel moves at the speed of relationships. How true is that? Tabitha would have known that this morning. Not all of us will take a stage. Not all of us will do that. But she makes the formula for us simple. How we can share the gospel with people. It's through this. We must arise. We must kumi church and teach people God's love by faithfully loving them. If we love people faithfully, opportunities will arise. They will come for us to show people what our God has done. And then we let God do the rest, right? Because without him, apart from him, we can't do anything. Tabitha would have known that. Peter knew that when he shows up that day. He knows that. You and I will probably never see a resurrection like this one before. I'm guessing I will probably never see a scene like this play out. Probably not. I'm welcome to stand corrected, but probably not. But you and I, as Arnie mentioned in his prayer this morning, we are witnesses to many miracles this morning. For those of you that have come to know the Lord and Savior, you are a walking miracle this morning. Well, we think about that often. We're so busy. Life has gotten fast again. But so often, uh, we are walking miracles. There's some miracles in front of me this morning. This brings me to tears thinking about it. Uh, somehow, this 15 or 16-year-old kid that said, God, I want nothing to do with you. He's a walking miracle somehow. It's amazing about Tabitha. It's amazing. It takes a literal miracle, miracle for someone to believe in this, in the good news 
sorry. It takes a literal miracle for this to happen. And we see the resurrection here and say, that must be the big miracle of Tabitha's story. It's not. It takes a miracle for someone to believe that they are a sinner needing of saving. They could only get that from Jesus. Tabitha knew that. Isn't that beautiful? Makes me cry, sorry. Um, and there's good news for us. Tabitha knew that good news. And the good news is this. This is my go-to definition. Kids heard it last year. You're going to hear it a lot this year for those sixth graders that are moving up. Apologize in advance. Not really. The good news is this, that God's kingdom has come near to us in Jesus. And through his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, sin and death no longer have the last word. That's my go-to definition. Sin and death, they're powerless now because of Jesus. I want you to see that this morning. See it. Just like Peter saw Tabitha come back to life. The last question I have for us is the question that I can't answer for us. Wish I could, but I can't. And it's tied to this question. And the first question is, have you trusted in Jesus this morning? Do you know the Lord? Do you know the King of Kings personally? We are here this morning not because of a book, as incredible as this book is. We're not here this morning because of some sort of worldview or a lifestyle. We're here because of a personal relationship with the Lord of the universe. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And it becomes real to you. And that relationship becomes personal. Life change happens. In a sense, we get to be Tabitha. We do experience a second chance, a new shot. It's called the new birth. Scripture calls it the new birth. And through Tabitha, what we really see, what I hope that you see with me this morning, is Jesus. Like Tabitha, his body was laid in a tomb. She's in an upper room. Three days go by, and on that third beautiful Sunday morning, God said, Kumi, and Jesus got up. He doesn't actually say that for us in Scripture, but you get the idea. Jesus had much more work to do. And because of his work on the cross, you and I can be saved this morning, just like Tabitha, just like Peter, just like so many in that city of Joppa. The real question I have to ask of you is will you answer God's calling this morning? That's the one I can't answer for you. Have you answered God's calling for your life? Have you kumied, if that's an actual word? Have you arisen to meet God's call? Will you make much of him and less of yourself? That's our call this morning. Are you willing and eager to worship him? As I'm sure Tabitha was when she got back to life, quietly, boldly serving through her relationships. We can do this, church. This is doable because of God, because he can do anything. This is the power of God's love. We sang that song this morning. It was a great song. Uh, hadn't heard it in a while. That's the power of the love that we're talking about this morning. And so I hope, it's my hope and my prayer, and I'm sure many here, that you will answer God's call. Only God and you can do that. Only through the Spirit and Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross can we do that. But I hope that we will follow Tabitha's example. It's a good one. Her story has stuck with me. But more importantly, I hope that you see Jesus in this story. The parallels are, are too easy not to. 
I hope that we will follow Jesus' example, the true disciple, the one who really did good works on the cross, the one who really, really loved and helped the hurting. Tabitha clothed people. Jesus has clothed us too in white. He has given us new clothes. We need those clothes. We want to see God in heaven forever someday. We want to glorify God in our lives now like Tabitha did. I hope that we will follow Jesus' example and pursue the path of a devoted disciple. That's my hope. We must kumi, church. We must kumi. Let's close in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning for your love and how powerful it is that you have brought many back to life and you have brought so many in this room back to life in a sense that you have sought us out, each of us, that you leave the 99 for the one, that you call us to kumi, to arise for you, Father, to live for you, to glorify you, because you deserve it all. We thank you for Tabitha this morning and the model that she serves for us. We can ask these three facts about ourselves. Are we a devoted disciple this morning? Or are we more concerned with other worldly titles? Do we do good deeds knowing that performance is going to be a race that is never ending, but that our good works should show our salvation, should show our Savior? And are we someone who is loving and helping our community? The world needs that right now. We thank you for Tabitha this morning, Father. We thank you for her um, friend here, Peter. But we ultimately thank you for your son, Jesus, a true teacher. We will never be greater than him, but we can be like him. We thank you for that privilege, for that opportunity to, through our relationships, show people your love and their need for it. We thank you for this day this morning, Father. Be with us in the days ahead. And we thank you for all of your love and that you are a God of this city. We pray for revival like, like we've never seen, like we saw in Joppa so many years ago. But while we wait, Father, help us to pursue the path of the devoted disciple. We pray this all in Jesus' beautiful name, the name above all names. Amen.